What's up, everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, and welcome to a very special episode of The Boochcast. Over the weekend, I had the honor and privilege of interviewing a legendary figure in the world of pro wrestling. That man is none other than the world's most dangerous announcer, Gary Michael Capetta, who is coming to uh, Conyers, Georgia, this coming Friday at 7.35 p.m., and will be performing his one-man show, Beyond Body Slams, at the Conyers Rockdale Council for the Arts, located at 910 Center Street Northeast, Conyers, Georgia, 30012. And what you are about to hear is not just an interview, but a conversation between two men who not only love professional wrestling, but discover that despite the obvious generation gap, They have an awful lot in common. So sit back and enjoy as the booch goes one-on-one with Gary Michael Capetta. Joining me here on the Boochcast is my very special guest. He is a legendary ring announcer, very successful author, and arguably the most entertaining Spanish teacher in the American public school system. He's got his hit one-man show, Beyond Body Slams, which will be coming to the Conyers Rockdale Council for the Arts. Uh, this coming Friday, October the 13th at 7.35 p.m. He also has a memoir, uh, Body Slams, Memoirs of a Wrestling Pitchman. It is my honor to welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, the world's most dangerous announcer, Mr. Gary Michael Capetta. Gary, welcome to the show. You know, I was with somebody last night who might dispute that comment about um, an entertaining Spanish teacher. He, he was no, no other than Tito Santana. <laughs> who is still teaching Spanish to this day. So he might, I don't know, he might dispute that, but um, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on your side. So let him go find a tag team partner. You and I will battle it. Absolutely. I'm down for that. I'm definitely a big enough fan where uh, I can get in the ring. So if you need some backup, I'm there for you. <laughs> that's, that's excellent because I'll be pushing you in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm big enough to take the hit, so I'll give you a chance to get away. <laughs> And of course, I, I did find this interesting um, that, you know, uh, apparently I read somewhere that Jim Cornette uh, was the one who called you the uh, the world's most dangerous announcer. Uh, and I'm just curious, how did you get that nickname? Well, it, it, its origin is from uh, the Midwest, Indianapolis, um, the wrestling territory there. Dick the Bruiser was the world most world's most dangerous wrestler. And when he was a kid growing up in that uh, market, David Letterman was fascinated with um, with Dick the Bruiser. So um, he was a fan, and then when he got his own um, TV show, he called his band the world's most dangerous band, Paul Schaefer. Um, and I guess it just stuck in Jim Cornette's head, and I guess one uh, one night he was on commentary, and he was he was looking at me in the ring, and you know, to, um, to the eye, I'm serious, I'm you know, not outlandish in any way. I'm very conventional, and I guess he just thought it was funny. Like the world's, <laughs> the world's most dangerous. The same way that when you look at Paul Schaefer, you don't think of someone being dangerous. You know, you look at GMC, you don't think of someone being dangerous. So uh, yeah, so that's and then it stuck. You know, people liked it, and uh, to this day, that's how a lot of people know me. Yeah, I just found it I just found it to be a really really cool nickname. Is he like attacking wrestlers before the bell rings like that like or something or I I, I found I, so I found that very intriguing. And um I was just curious, out of all the positions to have 
in professional wrestling. Uh, what made you choose uh, ring announcing? Oh, I, I didn't choose it at all. I had no no intention of working in the sport. Um, when, when I was a, a senior in college, um, my goal was to, because uh, I was a wrestling fan from when I was a kid, so I continued going to the shows, but my goal was to get into the matches for free. I had no no intention of ever, ever being a performer. Um, and so, one, but one thing I could do was write. So um, I weaseled my way into a press pass, which allowed me to get into the matches for free all the time. And um, it was only three months that had gone by, and they didn't have an announcer. And um, it really slowed the show up. And really, the fan in me was just saying, man, this is boring because... It's, it's, everything is just so slow. So I said to the promoter, look, if you want, I'll, I'll, I'll announce the matches. I'm right here at ringside anyway. And he said, okay. And uh, he liked what he heard. I had no idea. You know, I was just mimicking announcers that I had heard. And at the end of the night, he came up to me, because I was wearing a you know, T-shirt and jeans, so I, I did not go in the ring um, that first night. And he came up to me and he said, hey, kid, that's that wasn't bad. Do you have any experience? And uh, this was my first lie in pro wrestling. <laughs> I said, of course I do. Yeah, of course I do. And I'm saying to myself, oh, Lord, please don't let him ask me what that experience is. And he never did. He never asked. He said, okay, kid, next week's 4th of July weekend. Next weekend, uh, you come on back here and you wear a tie and jacket and we'll put you in the ring. I said, really? <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah. And, of course, I, I never believed it. I Like, I didn't. I just thought, well, maybe he's just covering his bases in case the real announcer didn't show up. So the next week, um, I paid to get in. I I paid for a ticket. That's how I got in to be able to talk to the the promoter to say, hey, you know, I'm here. And um, that's the rest is history. You know, 43 years later, I mean, it became a career. That is an amazing story. And also it's what I like about it is the fact that you know, that's that's usually what a lot of people do to lie to, to, to do to get jobs in general. It's like, do you have any experience? You got to kind of, you know, fake it till you make it. And of course, you've, you know, you mentioned, you know, you've worked for multiple companies uh, throughout your career: uh, WWF, the old WWF, uh, WCW, AWA, ROH, multiple indie places. Uh, do you have a particular favorite, or does each of them just have a special place in your heart? Yeah, each of them was um, important to me at the time. Um, you know, the the, uh, the experiences with the McMahon family was my first 11 years. So I was just learning, and every every new event and experience was something special to me. Um, introducing my childhood hero, Bruno San Martino, you know, that was, ex- that was special. Um, and then in the next um, decade, I transitioned and, and did the very first pro wrestling show on ESPN. So... That was special. That was uh, in the, the mid-'80s. And then transitioning over to the NWA and what became known as WCW, um, for the first time working full-time in, uh, in pro wrestling and touring and traveling. And, um, so, you know, that was special. And then finding my love once again toward the end, which was just about 10, 12 years ago, when I first saw the Ring of Honor product and totally was blown away. And I got in touch with them saying, look, after uh, 25 years of, of announcing, I don't think I've ever seen anything that's that's so great as this. I want to be part of it. You know, like, I don't need to be paid even. I want to, because it was the very um, infancy of Ring of Honor. 
So um, it was more of a, a, a more local indie promotion. It, it didn't have the exposure it has today. Um, and then I became their back. I said to them, there's only one thing I will not do. I said, I don't have to be in front of the camera. That doesn't matter to me. Um, I'll be in on the creative process. But if you want me in front of the camera, there's only one thing I will not do. I, I don't want to be a ring announcer. Like, I, I've done that. So they, uh, you know, they gave me the microphone still, and I was the backstage interviewer for the early DVD series of Ring of Honor. So every, every decade just had a, uh, a great new experience. Yeah, and it's, and it's amazing to see, uh, you know, someone's career uh, span, you know, that many decades and still love what you do. And I'm, I'm impressed with the fact that you, that you actually called the wrestling company and said that they don't even have to pay you. Like, I'm just saying, with someone who's been in the business as long as you have, I'm, I'm, I'll bet their jaws hit the floor when they heard that. Because I know most wrestlers, I've seen them, like, you know, uh, just because just of the local indie scene we have here in Georgia. I've seen big names where I heard stories where they've had to, like, negotiate for, like, three weeks leading up to them finally flying out there. So uh, that definitely shows that you have a love for the business when you're willing to say, hey, I love this product so much, I want to be a part of it, and you don't even have to pay me. So I think it shows something else, too. Um, number one, it, it shows that um, I was smart with my money when I was, um, when I was making it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, if, I mean, if you're a quote-unquote legend, I guess that means you've been around a while. I guess that means you've been, you know, one of the top promotions, I guess that means you, you know, you're making pretty, pretty good money. Um, what happened to it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if, if, if you have to uh, negotiate every nickel and penny with a, an indie promotion that really doesn't have much money, um, not that I'm saying, not, I mean, they, you should be compensated and as compensated as well as the return might be for your appearance. I mean, if, if you're, um, if you're announcing in uh, you know a small town in South Georgia, and they're not going to be able to have high ticket prices, they have a small venue. Then you know you can't expect ten grand for your appearance um, because they're just not going to draw that kind of money. But you do expect you know you should expect to be compensated fairly. But you know the way you um, characterize it, where someone is negotiating, you know, for every little quarter. Uh, my question would be, well, what happened to, your, to the money when you were making it, you know? Um, the other thing it, I think it shows is that I, I, there comes a time where if you truly love what you're doing and you want to see it live and thrive in the future, there comes a time when you have to give back to it. There's a, there comes a time when um, you have to help those that are behind you and, um, the, you know, the younger performers. Um, and, you know, Vinny... What was like, so we're only talking about 12 years ago, and the headliners in early Ring of Honor, just, I'm, I'm going to just list a few of them, and, and the audience can, can just, you know where they've, they've gone since then. We were, we're talking about Daniel Bryan, we're talking about Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, CM Punk. It wasn't that long ago that they were young indie wrestlers, and now they're, those that are still active, they're the leaders of the industry, and um, yeah, so it comes. There comes a time when you need to stop, and you need to give back to those that are, um, you know, the future of the sport. If you truly love it, you should want it to thrive in the future. Not just talk about quote unquote glory days. Absolutely, and that that definitely shows a lot, you know, because there's 
there's some wrestlers that are willing to give back. There's some that aren't, and you know, in the industry. So uh, to see, yeah, that's life. You know, everyone is different, and it's it, that's just how life is. You know, some are willing to to give of themselves, and some are just all about themselves. Absolutely, and yeah, I, I think it's great that you were, that, you know, that you that you definitely want to that you definitely want to give back to the business, and you know, I wish. I, there's some wrestlers I wish would would follow that would follow that philosophy. And speaking of of the industry, you mentioned before that you were a writer, and I heard this on the internet. So um, I, of course, everything with the internet I take with a grain of salt. But um, I read this somewhere that you had wrote a screenplay about the sport of wrestling. It was called Fall for the Dream, and I was curious what inspired you to write it and what became of it. Yeah, you're absolutely that is true. Okay. Um, it came about when I was writing my book Body Slam. You know, when people come to the stage show um, Friday night, they're going to hear all kinds of stories from my book and then those that are not in the book. And, you know, with the giant screen video, and it's a very visual kind of presentation. Um, now, when I was writing that, um, I, I wanted to give a true voice to the words of the wrestlers that I was paraphrasing, that I was sort of quoting. And I found that to be fun, I, and I found it to be kind of easy so that if I'm writing down what Sting might have said, um, there's a certain cadence to it, certain words he would use. And as I'm doing it, I'm realizing that a screenplay is dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. So I just used that talent after I finished my book and gave it to us, you know, put it down for a screenplay. Because I can hear like a crusty old promoter and what he would say and vocabulary he would use and, and and for the time like words that he would use that that perhaps are not used today um it was just something that I, I just had a lot of fun with now the second part of your question is that it was shopped around and it still exists um i actually had it um made into a little book um it was used as an upsell when, when my uh, book body slams first came out uh you know you you call in or order the the book and operator would say, oh, and also Gary Malcolm has this um, screenplay, you know, for X amount of dollars more, we'll also include that in your package. So, um, but it was, has never been picked up by, um, by anyone that makes movies. So I, I still have it. It's still, I think it's still pretty cool. You know, it would need a little bit of a write over at this point because it was written a long time ago, but um, yeah, fall for the dream, meaning not just the one, two, three being the fall, but also when your heartstrings wrapped are wrapped up in the sport, you're falling for the dream in that way also. Um, you ever you ever had any plans to shop it around? Um, at this point, my, my total focus is on my stage show tour, okay. but I don't discount anything for the future. A guy who starts out like um, Mickey Rourke, the wrestler, in the you know the indies and you know trudges along and has. He has a girlfriend, and she's not understanding what he's doing, and he um, eventually does make it to the top. And this is how he's different. And um, But he's seen so much. He's seen so much garbage that, that has infuriated him in the way promoters treat wrestlers that um, when he finally gets to the top and he gains the title, he becomes uncontrollable, and the promoter doesn't know how to get the the title off of him doesn't know how to you know get rid of him <laughs> because he's just a, such a phenomena and uh, and and so the final battle comes at 
definitely a heck of a story, and I definitely uh, would love to hear it. And um, speaking of good versus evil, um, I, 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 in your book, I know that you talked about how wrestling had a boom period, uh, where in storylines uh, there was, you know, you had the rigid good, good guy versus bad guy storylines, but then it turned, uh, it turned, it turned into a uh, you know violence and sexually explicit storylines, and, and it said that uh, good and evil were not easy to define during that era. Um, do you think that having those lines blurred helped or hurt the business in the long run? Um, always better to have clearly defined good versus evil. Um, I, I, I don't believe that it's that they were not easy to define. You know, I, I think there's certain things that are, you know, just right out there. You help, uh, let's say, an older person um, uh, do whatever. Yeah, that's a good thing. You know, you go up to someone you don't know, you slap them across the face, that's a bad thing. I mean, there's certain things, it's, it's like, real clear um i just and but life isn't always like that um and today's product is more of a reality show and what happens when wrestling becomes a reality show with like little shades and not clearly defined good versus evil is that the folks that you're watching in the ring becomes like the folks that are sitting to your left and your right and there's not that much of a separation between the, the people in the audience and the, i want to see larger than life kind of um, performers. Uh, I think that's just much more um, effective. Um, I don't want to see, um, I, I'm not going to pay to see people that are like the people that are in the car that I'm driving to get to the show. That's <laughs> pretty much how I feel about it. Um, you know, you always have to have underlying um, themes and theories uh, that people can connect to. So I'm not saying otherworldly characters necessarily. Although, you know, one or two here or there doesn't hurt, um, just as a curiosity. But, um, yeah, the good versus bad, um, I, it, it, it just works better for, uh, for wrestling, in my opinion. I, I agree, because I know as a kid that um, the larger-than-life personalities were uh, who I was attracted to and made me want to watch. Like, my dad and I grew up. Uh, my dad loved Hulk. My my dad my dad loved Hulk Hogan. So as a kid, I watched him and how crazy he was. Even though I I later gravitated towards Randy Savage because I just loved how crazy he was. Like, and that was what I loved about you know wrestling back then was they could cut promos and you had no idea what they were talking about. Like nothing they said made any sense whatsoever. But yet in a way you kind of understood that this guy's gonna beat this guy up and. He's going to save the day. So it, it was easy for me to understand, even though the words sometimes were just out there. You know what? The, the example that you just gave is a perfect, perfect example. Because you look at Macho Man Randy Savage, and, I mean, he is unlike anyone that would probably be your buddy in college or a workmate in, you know, in the office. But his relationship with Elizabeth caused certain rivalries, it caused certain um, 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 instances in their relationship that we all could relate to. So, you know, he was he was he was communicating on very different levels. So, uh, I think that's a perfect example. So he could be a colorful character that we would never run into in real life, but experience the same feelings that we would respond to viscerally. Yeah, that was a perfect example. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, but I, and I said I loved, I, I, cause I, I love Randy Savage. Like I remember, um, like I still remember WrestleMania. I think it was 
I think it was WrestleMania 7 when he lost to the Warrior. And when him and Elizabeth hugged in the ring, I'm seeing an arena full of people just burst into tears. Like, like I don't know what it is. Like, Randy had that gift where he could literally touch the emotion of everyone in that audience. And that's why, like I said, he was he was my favorite. And I was... Yeah. And even, ten, even in tangents, tangentially, now, remember the evolution, and all of a sudden... George the Animal Steel was smitten with Elizabeth. So now there's a situation where you have like the hunch of, hunchback of Notre Dame, the, you know, this um, ugly-ish kind of guy, and you had to feel for him, you know, because there was this beautiful girl that, um, the girl of his dreams, you know, a girl that you would say, oh, a guy like that, he, he would have no chance with Elizabeth. And, you know, so you can understand well, what Randy would be feeling you would also understand what George Steele would be feeling and also the sympathy and empathy of Elizabeth. I mean, so they're real life feelings with out of this world characters. It's, it, they were, they were just perfect setups. Yeah. It was the perfect formula because it did, because those were the things that took you out of the fact that it's, you know, it's a show like most, like most adults, like obviously as a kid, I had no idea, but as most adults, they know when they go to see it, that they're seeing that they're seeing a show, a good guy, a bad guy, and you know that that they're portraying characters. But when you got when they bring in the real emotions like that, it makes you forget. And that to yeah. me was what I loved. That that's the kind of wrestling I love, where you can make me forget that what I'm watching is a storyline, where that that, right. that it's scripted. That's the best. That's the best wrestling to me. Absolutely. And and if you remember. Toward the end of my book, Body Slams, I talk about the art of the game. That's the art form. Um, the art form is to get people to forget where they are and to react viscerally with their heart, with their gut, for that f- five minutes, for 15 minutes. I mean, if someone's totally into the whole show for two hours. Um, when I uh, tour around with my stage show, I play all different kinds, mostly small theaters, like I will be in Conyers on Friday. But mostly, uh, like I'll be in a wrestling ring doing it in Orlando. Um, I'll be, you know, different kinds of venues. And I always say to the people who um, are in charge of the venue, because they'll be concerned about, oh, we don't know that, you know, it's the right environment for your show. And I always tell them, no, 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 no. I should be able to take this show and I should be able able to perform it anywhere. It's my job to take the audience to a different level, to forget where they are, who they're sitting next to, what the what it looks like outside the building. It's my job if I'm if if I am practicing my art form, which is the art of storytelling in this case. Um, it's just you know wrestling is is, is telling stories. Um, too much is too programmed, in my opinion, for it to be effective in the way you and I love wrestling. But if you look at today's WWE product, they do an incredible job, but they're goal is different from what you and I would like to see their goal be. When when Daniel Bryan comes out and everybody in the arena's arms go up and down and it's more of a concert feel. It's like everybody's hands are in the air and we're swaying with the music and you know in sync with everyone else. It's it's very it's a very different product in you know in that way. They're not looking for you to um, have a, a personal experience as much as a, a concert or festival experience. So yeah. they're, they're successful at what they do. I just 
don't prefer that. A- absolutely, and I I can totally see where you're coming from because um for ex- I'll use as an example um at the time that we're having this conversation, uh, Hell in a Cell, the WWE pay per view is supposed to be um taking place later tonight, and I was actually talking with my 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 buddy Desmond, and uh, he and I were talking, and we realized that we have even though we're going to watch the pay-per-view tonight, we have no emotional investment in 90% of the matches that are taking place. Like, at No Mercy, we had a couple of emotional investments. Like, but they were emotional because they were, like, you know, matches that, you know, people have been waiting to see for a while or that were booked in a way that they would become, like, must-see matches. But as far as from a story... And some of the promos were great. But we realized with Hell in a Cell, there's not a whole lot of storylines or a whole lot of you know stuff to be emotionally invested in other than we're going to see great wrestling which i which i agree you know i obviously i want to see great wrestling i want to see two guys mix it up in the ring to a degree but i realize without that emotional factor i feel like i'm watching sunday night football in a way if that makes any sense yeah and probably i'm just going to guess but probably where your emotional attachment comes is with Shane McMahon because his father was attacked by Kevin Owens. And, um, you know, we can understand if um, our dad was, you know, hit by somebody who was, um, wow, 40, 45 years younger than him. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just doing the math in my head here as to what had happened. You know, and then split his head open. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone can identify with that. Um but there, those uh, those moments are far and few between, um, and yet it's not the performers' fault, and it's not or the announcers' fault. They're doing exactly what they're asked to do, because you're not talking to an old guy who would say, "Oh, oh, everything in the in the past." I mean, that was those were the golden years, and nothing can compare this. And no, 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 no. Today's performers, today's wrestlers, are much more athletic. Um, than those of the 70s and 80s, for instance. So what I want to see is a combination of that athleticism that these young folks um, possess and combine it with the psychology of yesteryear. And, and Vinny, can you imagine? The, I mean, well, you don't have to imagine because there are some smaller promotions around the world that do this. But you combine that athleticism with the old school mentality, uh, and you have a product. That's why when I went to the early days of Ring of Honor, I was blown away because they had that kind of a combination that just swept you up. But yet the the younger athletes were uh, just phenomenal, just phenomenal. Yeah, uh, honestly, I I feel like I'm talking to a kindred spirit right now because we are totally on the same page as far as um, what we look for in wrestling. Like, I'm, I'm literally picturing what wrestling would be like in that regard, and uh, I, I'm smiling right now because that would totally yeah. be what I'm looking for. Because, like, a lot of these guys, I'm like, if they just had a little bit of psychology, they could, they would be, um, they would be even 10 times as great as they are now. Yes, and, and that psychology includes, um, in, in some cases, controlling what they do, and, or, or mostly it's what they shouldn't be doing in the ring um i always contend that i I want you to the art form is to tell me a story on the mat not on the mic now of course rick flair and bruno san martino and you know the the, the guys of the past they had their interview time you know and they they got across um with words a very um general scenario 
But then once they entered the ring to wrestle, they wrestled. I mean, the, the, you knew that the purpose was to beat down your opponent. I don't always get that message today. Um, and, you know, and, and some of the reasons are kind of flimsy. So um, you can layer your product with all different kinds of scenarios uh, because, the, I mean, the human spirit is so complicated that, you know, there would be a, uh, so many reasons that you and I would want to duke it out. But um, don't, don't, don't give me 15 minutes of talking like when I'm, when I'm supposed to be watching a wrestling match. And save that for maybe, you know, maybe four, four minutes, an hour, you know, on a, on a certain promo. Or show me, show me what, like they did with Kevin Owen and, and Vince McMahon. You know, you saw why Shane is coming back for Kevin. And they showed it to you over and over and over again with, you know, Vince McMahon's forehead bleeding. You saw it. That's what you're responding to. Not the words. You know, and then and then Kevin Owens' coarseness about it. You know, oh, I, I'm, you know, oh, I'm sorry I did that because I wish I would have done something really even worse. Okay, that's fine. You can you can communicate that to me in 15 seconds. I don't need to hear 15 minutes on the mic. Absolutely, and I I I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, so I mean, to me, it usually it depends on on the talkers too, because there's some there's some guys like like John Cena that can cut a promo. For like 10, 15 minutes and have the audience in the palm of their hand. But I've seen other wrestlers do it and they're just, they're not that strong on the mic. So when you try to give them that 10, 15 minutes, it it can, you know, take you out of the story. Especially if the guy has uh, no idea what he's doing. So that's, so I agree. I definitely think that, um you know, I like the interview time as well, but I think that, Sometimes they do a little too much of it, and they're doing it with people who aren't strong talkers, so it's hard to sell the match that way. Yeah, and, and, and here's an example of, um, to prove through what I'm saying about, it's not all about good versus evil, him versus her, I mean him versus him or her versus her, um, because when you look at the live events, and if you were to check out when the WWE is coming to town, uh, you often don't know who's going to be wrestling whom. You just have a list of performers. You know, it's like it's like if you were to go to a concert festival and you knew that this band, this band, this band, and that band were playing. That's all you knew. You don't know what they're playing. It's the same thing because that is their goal. Their goal is just very different from what we uh, would prefer. Uh, of course, as we mentioned before, you you do have your big stage show uh, this uh, this coming Friday, uh, Beyond Body Slams at the Conyers uh, Rockdale Council for the Arts, and um, and of course I could sit here and talk uh, wrestling all day, but unfortunately um, I got one more question before we unfortunately have to wrap up. Um, and this you know, is... before you ask the question, did you hear that I have uh, a buddy of mine coming with me to Conyers Friday night? I'm uh... going to bring on stage with me. I've heard, I saw a list of a couple names in one thing you sent me, but I don't know who, who's the buddy you're bringing. I'm bringing Mr. Hughes. Uh, I'm bringing uh, Curtis the Cat Hughes with me. Um, he and I uh, worked together in uh, WCW, and we were on many tours. Um, what I do is I'll do my two-hour stage show, and normally on most nights, as my encore, I'll take questions from the audience. And at that point, I'm going to bring Curtis on stage with me. Curtis has a, he actually has a wrestling school in the Atlanta area. Um, and uh, he's a fascinating guy. Um, if it wasn't for one mishap, one injury, he would have been a pro football player, 
not a wrestler, and a lot of people don't know what he went through in transitioning into wrestling. And um, it's just he's just a fascinating, fascinating figure. Um, I love the guy; he's great, and he will be with me to meet with the fans um, Friday night. That is awesome, and um, and, and a lot, I think I know the school you're talking about. It's a uh, I know it's WWA four, right? Is that the school? Um, I think you're right. I'm not absolutely sure, but we uh, we will talk about it Friday night. I'm not sure of the name of his school. Okay. But it is in it's in Atlanta. Okay. I, I just know that's the one. That's the one school. There's 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 a couple that just recently opened up, but that's the one that I'm I'm most familiar with. I've seen a couple of uh, I've seen a couple of indie shows there where they have a lot of their students go on and uh, do showcases. Yeah, he's been very successful with that. He was an incredible, like a Bam Bam Bigelow. He was, for a, a large man, boy, could he move. Um, or the one-man gang. Um, he, he was, he's an incredible athlete. And, of course, uh, the last question I wanted to ask um, before we have to wrap up is, um, uh, with many pro wrestlers and personalities that are, there's a lot of them that are touring and, and doing the one-man shows. I know Jim Ross has his. Uh, I know Mick Foley's done a couple. I saw him at the punchline about three about three four years ago um wh- what can fans expect when they come to beyond body slams that o- that separates it from the pack what can fans expect when they come to your show uh on friday well this this show is groundbreaking number one because it was created before any of the other um personalities were out and doing any kind of one-man shows um i've uh, retuned it i've brought it up to date but this was created back in 2002 as an entertaining way to inform the public and have fun with, um, you know, with, with wrestling as I knew it, as I toured around with, uh, with The Undertaker and with Steve Austin and um, Sting and Ric Flair and the Steiners, and just it goes on and on and on and on. So what the people will see when they come is a celebration of pro wrestling. Uh, it's very interactive. I'll be in the audience. I'll want to know. I'll tell you right now. I'll want to know. What brought you to pro wrestling? What, what, how did you find your way to this wacky world? And what hooked you? And then I'm going to tell my story. But it's not just the storytelling, and it's not a comedy show, which is more of what Mick Foley does. And it's not a Q&A, which is more of what JR does. It's, it's a performance art. I know it, it's, it's very loosely, it's like a wrestling match. It's very loosely scripted. I know where I need to get to for each segment, but every night it's different as to how I get there. Um, and it's not only listening to the story, but I'll have giant screen video behind me. So the night that Mick Foley lost his ear in Munich, Germany, that was not a televised event. But there was a, a fan in Germany who snuck into the arena, a camcorder, and he did a hell of a job in capturing that whole match. It was uh, Vader versus Cactus Jack, McFoley. And you will see the moment that the ear came off of his head, it falls to the mat, the referee bend down, pick it up, and flip it over to me. So in addition to hearing, to, to reading the words in my book, hearing my story live, you'll see it. And I'll tell you what happened leading up to that match so that his ear coming from the side of his head should not have been a surprise to anyone. And then you'll hear what happened when I took his ear and I brought it backstage. Ric Flair was in charge that night when I said to him, Rick, I've got Cactus's ear in my hand. 
what he said to me in response. <laughs> so you'll hear the before, you'll hear the after, and you'll actually visually see what happened while you're listening to the story of someone who was right in the middle of it. I can honestly say that is the the visual the, the video part is probably the most intriguing is, is definitely the most intriguing to me because over the years you hear you see so many wrestlers doing um you know shoot interviews or or you know Q and A's and stuff and a lot of times they'll tell stories or they'll they'll look at stuff and usually in the back of my head I have to sit there and go did that really happen or is he just telling a story like you actually have evidence to back up your stories that should be a reason for any wrestling fan to go right there like like did he really toss in the ear yep it's right there on the screen I'm in. <laughs> You know, when you when you are in the middle of something that's so surreal, I would I guess you have an that there's an there's a possibility that the facts are skewed. You know, after so much time has gone by, everyone's in shock because the guy's ear is just severed off the side of his head. Um, so when I look back at this footage, yeah, I mean, if you if you if you like the video aspect, for instance, uh, during a Great American Bash tour with the NWA. We go back into the locker room, and you will see the wrestlers interacting with each other, the Road Warriors and um, Dusty Rhodes, Paul Ellering, Jim Cornette, Jimmy Garvin, and the list goes on and on. Um, Ivan uh, Koloff, Nikita Koloff. Um, I take you backstage and show you this is what happened every night when I showed up. This is what I had to put up with before I went to the ring. <laughs> seen before i pay tribute to gorilla monsoon and um we take you to his house and you you know you watch him grilling um doing some barbecue in the backyard and playing with his little kids and so this this is gold this is rare and you're not going to see it anywhere else than at my show friday night in conyers people can buy tickets at eventbrite.com okay that's b-r-i-t-e eventbrite and, you know, if they go to my Facebook page, I have all of the links for the, the ticketing and in, more information. Um, on Facebook, it's my initials, G-M-C, the number four, real, G-M-C for real. And you'll be able to uh, to link up. And uh, it's a small theater. Anyone that knows Conyers, it's only a 90-seater. So uh, tickets, uh, get your tickets in advance, folks, because I don't, I don't want anyone to be disappointed. And not. it's not like a wrestling show where... You can go at the last minute, and they'll they'll put another row of, of seats around the ring. These, these are stationary theater seats, so and there are only ninety of them. Yes. So uh, come on out, we're gonna have a good time. Absolutely, guys, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Gary Michael Capetta, the world's most dangerous announcer. You can catch him Friday, October thirteenth at seven thirty-five p.m. at Beyond Body Slams, the Conyers Rockdale Council for the Arts. It's at nine one zero Center Street Northeast, Conyers, Georgia three zero zero one two. Get your tickets at eventbrite.com. And, of course, get the book, Body Slams, Memoirs of a Wrestling Pitch Man. Uh, this is an incredible story. And, Gary, um, I want to thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to talk and be on the show. Um, like I said, I, I'm amazed. I, 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 I was very honored to get to talk to you and the fact that you actually um, you know, wanted to be a guest and talk because I, I love talking wrestling. I love meeting uh, wrestling personalities and finding out, you know, store and hearing stories. And I got to say, this is probably one of the most intriguing, entertaining stories I I've heard thus far. And I want to thank you so much. You're welcome. I, you know, I can talk to you all day <laughs> because we're kindred spirits. And and the folks that come out Friday night, it's going to be the same thing. It's 
uh, I'm very opinionated. I want to forewarn people. You know, when I talk about the McMahon family, I'm, I have certain opinions. Nothing's all good. No one's all bad, you know, but you will hear from my experiences what I, you know, what I think about people in certain circumstances. And like we talked about earlier, wrestlers that do not give back to, to the business that have been so, has been so kind to them. You know, there's so many things we're going to explore, but we're going to do it with a lot of fun. So if you want some fun, come on out Friday night. Absolutely. Absolutely, Gary. And thank you again, man. I, I, I really appreciate it. I, it was a joy. Thank you. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was my interview with the one and only Gary Michael Capetta. Now, I'm not going to lie, and I think it was pretty obvious that I was very nervous during this interview. But as it progressed, I started to feel more comfortable, and I was able to let my booch persona shine through. Also, I wasn't lying when I said Gary and I are kindred spirits. A lot of the things Gary said about the wrestling business are things I've been saying for years. So to hear someone with legendary status validate my beliefs is a feeling I can't even put into words. Also, we talked for about 10 more minutes after the interview was over, and I won't say what we talked about, but I will say that that was also a fantastic conversation. And I hope next time he comes to Atlanta, I will be able to have him back on the show. Now, that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this special episode of the Boochcast. Make sure you follow us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash the boochcast that's where we do our live wrestling watch parties our next one will be saturday january 28th for the wwe royal rumble we'll be there live at 8 p.m uh checking out the show we hope you guys will join us for this big party follow along with us interact with us during the show as we find out who the two royal rumble winners will be that will headline each night of wrestlemania also, we have our live D&D show coming soon, our Boochcast booking battle, and another special surprise that'll be coming around the pike. And also, you can support the Boochcast by going to anchor.fm slash theboochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works best within your budget. Uh... Our first level is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. Our second level is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we got the third and final level you can donate at, which is for a mere $9.99, $10. The same amount of money we used to pay for a WB Network subscription here in the United States. Ever since sold to the Peacock, you got nowhere to put that $9.99. Take that $9.99, bring it over here. We got better content in the network, and we are dedicated to giving the people what they want. You have the option of paying with a credit card or with GPay. And the best part is, all the money that we raise through donations helps to support the show. It all goes back into the show in some capacity. We use it to upgrade our equipment. We use it to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, 
and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and you believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, anchor.fm slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when it's all said and done, we use the rest to give uh, Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And for any new listeners out there, that last one is a little joke we tell at the end because we like to ball bust uh, our NXT correspondent, Zach Scott. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. We'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all. Goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. A la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again. <laughs>